Happy Halloween, horror fam, best friends, and ghoulish nights, and welcome to the 43rd episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, classic slashers, body horror, folk horror, sci-fi horror, the horror adjacent, thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each week, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers! Thank you for the support. Don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. It certainly helps with the engagement. If you haven't already, maybe consider subscribing to the channel if you are so inclined. It's free to do, and you'll look cool doing it. Gotta say. Uh, audio listeners, the show is also available on podcast services around the world like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so don't forget to leave a rating when you stop by. Five stars is always appreciated, of course. Super big shout out again to Carl Gooding, who gifted me this awesome Michael Myers bobblehead, complete with the hedge. Thank you, Carl. Do him a solid and check out his YouTube show, How Many to Point Oh Eight which is exactly the type of YouTube channel that it sounds like breathalyzers are involved. I'll leave the link in the show notes, but enough of all that housekeeping because today I have the privilege of welcoming back for his second appearance and hopefully one with fewer technical issues. The one, the only Matthew Hidalgo, Matt, how the hell are you? I'm doing good. Hi everybody listening or watching. Um, yeah, doing great. Loving the season. Always, always the best. You know it, you know, for a lot of us horror fans, it's Halloween all year long, but it's extra Halloween-y right now. So Mm -hmm. yes, yes. It's great when you don't, it's great when you don't feel like the outsider and the whole world is celebrating with you. That's (laughs) nice. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, been a great year for, uh, scary movies and, uh, Mm -hmm. the, uh, scary movie adjacent. Um, I know there's that new Argentinian, uh, horror film that just popped out on shutter and I'm struggling to think of the, Mm -hmm. uh, of the title, but I need to get to that. Um, but it's on the list. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we we got a good one for uh, Halloween this year. Uh, today's film is the 1978 John Carpenter classic, the one that started it all, Halloween, directed by Carpenter and co-written with Deborah Hill, with an absolute banger score from John Carpenter. This film is an absolute masterclass in how to ramp up tension. Matt. This is one of your, if not your favorite scary films of all time. Why Halloween? This is in my top 10 for favorite films of all time. Like this movie is so well done. Like you said, the cast, the score, like. Oh, yeah. So my history, my history with this film goes back to probably when I'm I was about my oldest son's age, seven uh amc classic movie movie around this time apparently halloween is an okay movie to air at 7 p.m (laughs) on halloween so sure enough i didn't go trick-or-treating one year i watched this movie and it burned in me a love-hate relationship with home invasion film (laughs) like that is a that is a fear of mine because of this movie but at the same time it's like i don't get a rush like I do outside of home invasion films. And I have to honor it with this movie. All right. 
That is absolutely fair. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably a similar story for me, probably seeing it somewhere edited for television. Um, it's, uh, it, to be fair, it's a relatively tame film by today's standards, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, yeah, there's some, there's, there's some shit in here that probably somebody under 10 probably shouldn't be seeing. Um, <laughs> um, ramping up the tension, man. That's really what gets oof. you is yeah. it starts out. It starts out weird with the whole, I mean, not to get into it, but the movie yeah. starts out a little odd. And it just, that ramping of tension, like you said, it just builds and builds and builds. And you're waiting, waiting for stuff to happen. And then when it does, it's just like the flood wall breaks. Yeah, yeah. It's like the last probably 20, 25 minutes. It's mm-hmm. just nonstop. Go, go, go. Slash, slash, slash. It's, um, you know, you know as uh, Scarpino likes to say, stab, stab, stab. Um, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it gets going and it's had this wonderful, probably good hour long plus build of all these little teases. And it's like, when is this finally going to happen? And then it does. And it's just glorious. And, you know, all that's anchored with, you know, the great Donald Pleasance. Um, mm. uh, just outstanding. And, and of course, Jamie Lee, this is like her first big, big role for her big role yeah Yeah. and uh and she's outstanding and you know not to discount you know the people that play her friends and uh the kids and you know everybody else in the film but yeah uh, those two performances and then of course um the 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 real star of the movie michael myers michael Uh, myers nick castle yeah, yeah just that presence yeah. i don't know if you've seen on um uh tiktok there's a great series of like the myers family of decatur illinois or whatever uh where it's no. this uh dude and his uh, very very young child both dressed as michael myers and oh. he'll often just sit out at the end of the driveway with an uh, electronic keyboard and play the halloween theme while his kid <laughs> dances around to it and he'll be very much in character as michael myers extra stoic no real you know motions of the head or anything uh yeah. but then they, they have uh segments of them going to costco and you know things like that and occasionally his wife apologizing to neighbors or other folks or telling the kid to get the fake knife out of the eye hole of the mask um it's <laughs> it, it's good stuff but um yeah just i'll have to the, find this yes um I, I i need to remember to um share one of those with you uh uh, just to force it upon you there, but, um, it just the way that the character of Michael Myers moves and mm-hmm. all of that, of course, Nick Castle and plenty of others who have played the character have imitated it uh, quite well. It's it, this, this is the original blueprint here though. Just, yep. it's with purpose. It's methodical. It's, you know, just, he's not running because he doesn't have to. Nope. Everything's thought out because Michael Myers is inevitable, right? It's yeah. Yeah. So good. (laughs) Yep. 
just ridiculous. You know, something fun. something that's in this one that I feel like is only in well, it's in H two O two. So it's only really in the fourth movie and then in H two H two O as well is the stalking. Mm. I feel like in none of the others does he really do a lot of stalking. He just like you're following him and then he murders and then he moves on to the next victim with this you're actually watching him there's that voyeuristic following of the high schoolers and it's just it's unsettling it's upsetting because you know you know what's going to happen and you just can't do anything about it like (laughs) there's a scene there's a scene that i love where the girls are driving by the hardware shop Mm-hmm. And Annie sees her dad, Sheriff Brackett, and they have their little exchange. And then Annie drives off. And then Dr. Loomis arrives. And Brackett and Loomis are talking. And after they have their brief conversation, Michael Myers, like, in the state hospital car, just drives right by. And Loomis yep. just doesn't see it. And it's just, it could have ended there. It could have ended there, but it didn't. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I love how so much of that is all one take as well. Or, or mm-hmm. if it isn't, it sure feels like it. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's so many moments in this film of characters doing their thing, you know, like Annie doing her Annie shit on the phone. And mm-hmm. love you know, it. You, love you it. see her um, kind of pass by the, uh, the patio door to the backyard. Uh, and. Yeah. You know, there's nothing there, but then Michael's there, but then he's gone again and, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that where, you know, you just, you see Michael here and there, you know, the bit where he runs into, uh, um, Tommy Doyle after he trips and smashes the pumpkin Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of grabs him and then lets him go. It's just, he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're just waiting for it to happen, just waiting for something to happen. And yeah, well, I mean, it does eventually, but yeah, <laughs> but it, it has you on pins and needles for the entire thing. It's wow, wow. It's, I know Ebert compared this to Psycho, and you know, he's not wrong. <laughs> no, of course, of course, it's, it's hard to not. And Carpenter himself has mentioned taking inspiration. That's one of the reasons why they cast Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, yeah. whose mom I'm yeah. forgetting her name, but is Janet psycho. Lee. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Janet yeah. Lee. So it, uh, it's all there in the DNA, but there's yeah. something so different about it. Yes. It's, and I, I, again, kind of a blueprint for so much to follow. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just home invasion films and slashers yep. and I mean, just thrillers in general, you, they, they wouldn't be what they have been in the past 40 plus years, no. um, you know, without Halloween. So yep. yeah, uh, it, as we're recording this, it's, um, 
essentially uh what the the 45th, 45th. anniversary yeah. of yeah. uh of the movie it's uh you know that that was just like the other day or something it's it's a shocker that it's as old as it is but i mean i know i i've been going through a lot of films from the 70s lately you know just like uh don't look now that's a 50 year old film mm. at this point so mm-hmm. it's the exorcist um and so many of these films hold up so well out of the seventies. It's, uh, and so many were, you know, if not genre starters, almost genre defining. Um, so I, I just found myself very fortunate to be revisiting yeah. a lot of these films lately. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, God, why, why the hell not? just <laughs> again absolute you know, bangers there's something about 70s cinema that when you think about like good like good solid 70s cinema that is mm-hmm. so inherently timeless don't know yeah. what it is because it all looks 70s yeah but like jaws star wars halloween like they're all timeless films and it's mm-hmm. more than just the theming it's just they are just timeless movies yeah, and there's something really special about a lot of 70s films because it's when a lot of films started getting a lot more experimental, a lot more what we would call art house. Um, mm-hmm. Just There's just a very, very cool vibe from that era. Um, so A lot yeah. of new tech. Yeah, that too. Absolutely. A lot of new film tech. Yeah. Um, to bring it back to Halloween, the Steadicam. Carpenter yeah. found out about the Steadicam and because he didn't want to use the dolly because setting up a dolly track was going to be too time intensive, oh, yeah. cost too much. It would end up spending too much of their resources with the limited amount of time that they had to film. So when he heard about the Steadicam, he was like, I need that. I need one of those. And that's how you have the entire opening shot in Steadicam. That's it's nice. just you have that like you have Michael Myers perception walking into the house following his sister upstairs grabbing the knife which again played by deborah hill the little child hands um yeah (laughs) she's a very small woman um Mm -hmm. but uh (laughs) but uh yeah i mean speaking of that scene we should jump into it i mean we start off with the opening credits and this absolute Mm. banger theme Mm. from carpenter Mm -hmm. that you we are Love very fortunate with him that you know, I know not everybody is into synths. Um, I, I God, I've met so many people recently that are just anti synthesizer uh, as far as their musical tastes. But man, you just you can't discount the talent of uh, Carpenter with his uh, his scoring. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for one, because he's able to put together such iconic tracks and and they just Mm -hmm. suit his movies so well. It's I mean, that's that's a nice plus of just kind of doing it all because everything is going to gel. Right. Um, But, yeah, you get that nice slow zoom into the burning jack-o'-lantern, which I I love that they played with that throughout the um Uh, David Gordon Green uh, uh, reboots uh, in particular, you know, say what you want about those. Yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, that's been a fun little homage to carry through. 
Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, we just start off with Haddonfield, Illinois, uh, Halloween, 1963. Ooh, that's a long time ago now. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we just start immediately with this POV shot that we don't quite realize is one until, you know, the camera starts to move in, seeing this young couple uh, kissing behind uh, the front door of this house. And you see them kind of dart over to the couch and the, the perspective kind of moves around and peers in through the window again with the stocking that you brought up. Um, and you hear uh, them talk about, you know, hey, are we alone? Well, Michael's around here somewhere. Uh, and you know, she's, of course, referring to her little brother. This is Judith Myers. Um, and the boyfriend kind of kisses at her with this clown mask that he had found on the floor or whatever. Ugh. And uh, I know. Yeah. And uh, she kind of pushes him off, but relents when he asks to go upstairs and they dart upstairs and uh, the perspective kind of shifts around. Uh, one little bit that I caught for maybe the very first time uh, on uh, this rewatch for this podcast, um, as you see the point of view move to the back door, you see the little shadow of this child play across uh -huh. the wall of, you know, the outside wall of the house. And that, you know, you could have completely left that out. You could have inadvertently had the shadow of the, the camera person holding the camera for this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that this could play, but the little kid shadow that plays across is just, again, absolutely perfect. I don't know if that was Deborah Hill's mm -hmm. shadow or what, or how this played out, but it absolutely has to be intentional. And I love it. Um, yeah, I think it was hers. They, she was talking in, um, so you mentioned 45th a few minutes ago. I have on my first copy of the film on DVD way back when 25th mm -hmm. anniversary of okay. the film. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fun to see. It's a 20 year old DVD copy, but in the <laughs> behind the scenes on that, they mention um, how hard it was to film this entire set because the lighting had to be perfect. Everything mm -hmm. had to be precisely in place. And as they're filming the shot, it looks like it's all in one take, but they couldn't do it in one take because the film reel, like it would end right. before right. it could finish. So they actually had to splice it in three different shots. Is the splice hidden by the mask going on? I would assume that it That's is. That's one. Yeah. That's one. The next okay. is right after he murders and he turns from the room into the hall. Okay, that yeah, that's the a good place goes, to do the it. Goes black, and then it's the stairs down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the POV goes inside through the door and then into the mm -hmm. kitchen, where of course the little hand reaches out for the drawer and grabs yeah. a, uh, a chef's a knife. knife and uh, starts making his way through the living room. And you see the little fire truck by the console TV. It's uh, we learn later that this is a six-year-old. It's yeah, <laughs> that's terrifying. Um, and now, and that it is her brother and that it is her brother. Like, that. yeah, yeah. And here's one of the most disturbing things of this early scene. The boyfriend comes down the stairs less than two minutes from going up. The oh stairs. yeah. Oh yeah. 
that's gotten a lot of traction over the years. I'm sure it has. And we get the, you know, oh, I'll call you. You promise? Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that's not going to happen now, but. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the figure makes his way up the stairs and, uh, pop, finds the mask outside the bedroom door, pops that on, finds Judith and just her undies there at her vanity, brushing her hair. And she, re she reacts when he's just looming over her with a Michael and kind of covers herself. And then yes, we get the stabbing from mm -hmm. there. Um, and it's, you know, for, for what it is, it's fairly tasteful. You barely see anything. It's, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure at the time it was fairly titillating, but, uh, you mm -hmm. know, so, so to speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It, as soon as, uh, the deed is done and, uh, Judith is, uh, bleeding out there on the floor. Yeah. You get that little quick turnaround, uh, hiding that splice and just booking it down the stairs steps outside as a car is pulling up and uh, you get a couple of, you know, they're obviously the parents at this point, but uh, walking up and uh, the father reaches out and grabs the masks and just questions with a Michael. And then it lingers on them, just staring at him for way too long. Yep. The mom yeah. just shoving her hands in her pockets there. It's that bit's a little weird to me. And yeah, um, I, I don't know if it's more to just let the score play out, but, I, but like, I haven't found any research for that. I, in this recent watch, I was like, well, maybe the scene just like pauses. Like if you're looking at a Shakespearean yeah. play, like this is where the scene ends. We're sure. pulling away. Then the curtain goes down. So could be, could be, um, <laughs> no idea. Yep. None whatsoever. But then we cut to 15 years later on devil's night of 1978. And, uh, yeah, it's a dark and stormy night. We've got, uh, Dr. Loomis played by the great, uh, Donald Pleasance. Uh, and he's, uh, with this, uh, nurse, uh, nurse chambers. Uh, they're heading to the institution where, um, Michael has been kept all these years because they've got to pick him up and uh, take him to a court date. Uh, something to do with probably deciding his future. Um, but uh, yeah, um, they they make a little small talk as they drive along here. And uh, yeah, it's discussed how, you know, just in all this time, he's never really seen anything in the kid is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, just nothing. And I, the nurse, I think comments a little bit here about, you know, how that's a little bleak and a little uncouth too, for somebody who's supposed to be his, uh, you know, his, his doctor. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, Loomis is all about making sure that he just never sees or, you know, really breathes free air again, because mm -hmm. he is, pure evil as far as he is concerned. Um, and they make their way a little closer to the institution. And, uh, as they approach the front gate, they see a bunch of the patients kind of milling around outside, which is a really unsettling scene. Yeah. Especially it's, with how poorly it's lit. Yeah. So you're getting the shot, like the headlights hitting those white yeah. gowns. Yeah. Oh, they're man. basically lighting the whole scene other than maybe a couple of flashes of lightning. Um, 
And also, you, you got to think back. Mental health is still not wonderful or anything, but you got to consider institutions like that in the 60s and the 70s and how horrible things were. And, you know, a scene of a bunch of people just let loose to wander around in the rain in that perspective just mm-hmm. rings a little extra like ugh. hard. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so obviously Loomis knows that something's up. And so he, you know, hops out of the car to run up to the gate and see what's going on. And now I, it, it occurred to me this recent watch. Why did you pull up closer? Yeah. Why did you park a good, you know, multiple feet from the gate? And then Loomis has to run to the, you know, especially considering the torrential downpour. Mm-hmm. You know, I know he's got a raincoat on and everything, but uh, it's really, you know, just more of a trench, not really super waterproof or anything. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's more to give the car some distance to let the uh, <laughs> new portion <laughs> here play open. out. Yeah. Um, because as he uh, runs up, we get that little spidery cue of the store as uh, Michael in uh, just his hospital gown crawls on top of the car oh i know and there is some weight on top of this car so you gotta figure you hear it oh yeah this is a 21 year old but this is a 20 year old with some bulk um Mm -hmm. this is pure muscle and obviously the nurse is freaked out and uh, you know, the, there's the hand that reaches in through the open window and she kind of crawls back to the other side. And you know, here's one of the, the one bits of, you know, obvious, um, you know, this is clear <laughs> filmmaking because you see the little disc on the hand to help with breaking the glass, breaking the glass. Yeah. yeah. As the hand, you know, swoops down to do that. Um, it's like, yeah, they, they couldn't really cover that up super well, but you know, I, I like to think of it as Michael is not at this point, not superhuman. Mm. So he needed that metal like wrench in order to break the window. Yeah. He picked something up and used that. That's what it was. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> sure. Sure. We'll go with that. Um, so yeah, she, you know, ends up basically falling out of the vehicle trying to get away. And Michael just kind of climbs in and peels off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the evil's gone from here. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, eh. L- Loomis is definitely a little bit on the tad dramatic side, but he's uh, got reason to be. Um, <laughs> Donald but, Pleasance like plays that off, like watching the behind the scenes again. Like, yeah, he was not 100% on board with any of this just because mm. again, the murder at the beginning was very titillating and that was not something he was supportive of. And um, he didn't appreciate how melodramatic the story was, but all that considered, he was a professional. He was super friendly on set. He understood that this was his job, that to sell it the best that he could and Hell, we got a hell of a movie because of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really would not want him any other way from the performance that we get in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
think my other favorite film that he is in is The Great Escape, uh, you know, oh, which is okay. just a huge ensemble cast, but his mm-hmm. character is a lot of fun in that one, too. Um, he's just a great actor. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the car peels off uh, and, well, crap. Um, I, I forget exactly from here what we cut to. Um, but Lori, is it right to Lori the next day? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So she's leaving for school, and um, you know, her dad, who's a local realtor, uh, needs her to you know put the key under the mat for the uh, the old Myers house because he's gonna be showing that that at some point that day. And I, I guess we didn't have lock boxes to throw on uh, the doorknob <laughs> back then, but because uh, just leaving it under the mat seems. Uh, I understand small town, but still. Um, I mean, the shots that we see inside the house later on in the film, I'm like, I think this house is ready to show. No, no, I, I think they were just <laughs> trying to, you know, dump this house as fast as they possibly could, and yeah. that's it. Uh, it's a unique fixer upper kind of situation, right? Um, it's got history. Oh, does it ever? Um, so yeah, uh, as, uh, she heads off to school and, uh, run this little errand, uh, she runs into Tommy Doyle, uh, who's, she's going to be babysitting later that night. Tommy is probably like in, uh, late grade school or something like that. Um, and yeah, they uh, they talk about what they're gonna do. Are they gonna carve pumpkins and you're gonna watch monster movies, all that fun stuff? And yeah, they're gonna do it all. Uh, then he finds out the what the little errand is that she's on, and he has a little freak out because uh, you know he's been told never to go up to that house <laughs> because of course this is uh, a 15 year old uh, lawn uh, story in their little town. And the Myers house murder is house. the murder house. Yeah. Uh, what does he call it? A spook house. Um, spook house. Yeah. Um, but she's like, I'll show you. And, you know, she just walks up, puts the key under the mat and walks back. Little does she know. However, uh-huh. she's being watched from the inside by a presence. Um, yeah. Um, I think we cut at some point here back to Loomis on the road on the way to Haddonfield. He's either leaving the sanatorium and talking to the director there and giving him an earful, or he's made it to that uh, phone booth where the uh, the wrecker has been uh, kind of discarded off the side of the road. And uh, it's one of those. Um, but, he's, uh, he's leaving the hospital. I, okay. I love that interaction between him and what's his name? Childress. I forget, but the director of the hospital Yeah. and I, there's that dialogue exchange to where he's like, you know, he couldn't even drive a car and Loomis replies with, he was doing, he was very doing well. really well. Last night. <laughs> Maybe somebody so, yeah, gave him lessons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he learned by watching TV, <laughs> probably plenty of <laughs> cop shows and so on. But, 
yeah, yeah. Loomis is kind of pissed. And the, the director of the facility is pissed at him. And like, while you were his doctor, you should have been un under control or whatever. It's you like, should have said something. You should have right. said something. And he did. And he's like, I told he's everyone. Like, For the past 15 years, I've been ranting and raving about this dude. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we go from here to school. And, uh, Lori's sitting in class and you get that great rambling droning teacher dialogue uh, going on and on about fate. Thanks. And it's, it, it's perfect. I love how they bring back the same dialogue in Halloween, uh, 2018. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yes, uh, as Lori is sitting there kind of towards the back of the classroom at a window seat, she happens to look up and she sees, you know, somebody oh. standing out there yeah. staring at her and, uh, you know, she, she's a little distracted, but obviously not distracted enough not to, you know, be able to respond to the, the teacher calls directly. on her. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, uh, she's a good student, clearly a good student. She's got a really? giant stack of books she deals with. She's made fun of that by her, uh, by her friends, but, uh, yeah, when she looks back out the window, of course, Michael's gone because that's his shtick. It's uh, that's his superpower. <laughs> it appears and disappears yeah. at will. Um, but yeah, uh, Laurie is clearly being stalked at this point. Um, and let's see here. From here, is it? We get Tom the truck scene. Oh, okay. it's the side of the road with Loomis. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. wrecker is like off in the ditch, and Loomis is at um, the phone booth trying to talk to the police in Haddonfield, and nobody really wants to listen to him. And the best part in this little scene is that there's the dead body of the tow truck driver that yep. is off in the distance that Loomis doesn't actually find. He just finds the matchbook from the nurse that he was driving with the this evening car. prior. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, I think he also finds, uh, Michael's hospital gown, uh, draped over mm. like the door of the wrecker or something like that. And he knows something bad has happened, but I, I love that he doesn't find the body. Find the it's, body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I think school's letting out from here and we've got Tommy being uh -huh. boiled or Tommy Doyle, Tommy Doyle being, uh, bullied by his, uh, uh, some of his friends there or, you know, at least classmates. And, uh, they're teasing him about how the boogeyman's going to come and get him. You know, he, he's kind of at that age where he's, you know, getting to the point where he might be a little too old for trick or treating and his mm -hmm. friends clearly are at the age where, uh, they're going to go egg, uh, houses and soap windows and shit like that. Mm. Um, they're going to go into the Myers place as we'll see later in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one of them is, uh, 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 the, uh, character that's played by Robert Longstreet in, uh, the, um, newer trilogy. The new um, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kills. Yeah. I, God, I can't remember the character's name, but it's the one that Laurie teases Lonnie. Lonnie yes. Lonnie. Uh, because he's the one that, uh, Laurie teases Tommy about like, you know, Oh, if he told you to jump oh. off a bridge, you know, that kind of situation. He's yeah. the one that walks up to the Myers place while um, 
Loomis is at the bush. Right. And Loomis is like, hey, get the hell out of here, Lonnie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scaring the Loomis shit out of like, those he kids. Has that, he has that face of like, so like I did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. He's so proud of himself. But so proud of himself. Yeah, these kids, they 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 trip Tommy and he's got this great big pumpkin that he was gonna, you know, I know. Use to cut. and you feel so Our, bad. And when yeah. he gets up and trudges away like a you know downtrodden Charlie Brown type character, uh, this is where Michael grabs him by the shoulders. Not him. Not him. It's one of the oh, other kids. Is it one of the, one other, of the kids? other kids? Is, yeah, one swear. of the other kids is running away and runs into Michael. Okay. And Michael like stops him, and the kid just looks up. You don't mm. see Michael at this point. He, no. he just looks up, and then Michael lets him go, and then he runs off. He's following Tommy. So That's Tommy starts Tommy's behind the, the fence. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um. But oh just unsettling yeah. it's at this point michael hasn't really offed anybody in town that we know of mm-hmm. but uh ooh, yeah he is a presence mm-hmm. that's for sure and uh and then we get laurie meeting up with uh her friends annie and uh linda and uh of course linda's the uh kind of bubble-headed blonde um totally yeah <laughs> Yes, that's what she keeps saying throughout this entire film because she she is that airhead. Um, You know, they make fun of Lori carrying all her books and she keeps going on and on about how she forgets all of her books all the time because, you know, what get her books, right? And this is where everybody is distracted except for Lori who sees Michael standing just a little bit out from the side of a hedge down the street. Mm. Mm-mm. You missed the spot. The drive. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah. That's where Michael drives by the three of them. Yes, the, the speed kills. And then he manages yeah. to kind of get ahead of them and get out of the um, car. Yeah. Because yeah. they think it's uh, a classmate that they of theirs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just they make a comment about, you know, why is it people with cars that always, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just, yeah. Uh, it's Annie that yells at him and he just slams on the brakes and, uh, they're like, can you take a joke or whatever? And then drives away. And yes, we get to this moment of he, he's gotten ahead of them and he's stalking them from behind a hedgerow and just how he's just barely standing out. And then when Laurie tries to get their attention, this is when she turns away. And of course, when they all look up, he's gone because mm-hmm. again, it's just Michael Stick, right? Mm-hmm. And Annie decides, well, she's going to go and, you know, be the brave one here. And then she decides to be kind of a dick to Laurie about it. You know, yeah. saying, Oh, Hey, you know, wants to ask you out or whatever. And of course, when they walk up, there's nobody there. Um, Poor Lori scared another one away. Right. Tells her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they all kind of part ways uh, to get ready for the evening. Both uh, Lori and Annie have babysitting duties. Um, mm-hmm. Linda is going to be hanging out with her boyfriend, Bob. Uh, and they're, they're going to find a way to sync up. They talk about, and you know, it's just kind of a fairly loose, uh, loose set of plans for the evening. 
uh, Annie even talks about how her uh, her boyfriend Paul got himself grounded, and you know mm-hmm. how just things aren't going to really work out with that because you know, and that's why she's got her babysitting gig and everything else. Yep. Um, and they're going to be at she's houses. About that, kind of, about that line where she's like, "Oh, great! I can either hang out with you, or I can either listen to you make out or spend time with Lori." Yeah. And it's One, he's clearly the nice. dick of the group. Yep. Yep. Um, but they're going to be babysitting at houses kind of across the street from each other. So mm-hmm. Annie, you know, she's going to pick Laurie up for the evening and uh, drive her. Um, and yeah, they kind of part ways then. And this is where we get Loomis uh, showing up in Haddonfield. And uh, he's at the cemetery talking with um, the caretaker there. And the caretaker's just kind of rambling on and on as they head towards, uh, well, a particular missing headstone. It's um, Judith Meyer's grave. And the caretaker talks about kids doing this kind of thing all the time. Really? Mm-hmm. Do they really steal Judith Meyer's headstone all the I know. time? A whole headstone? Like, holy shit, that's a big thing to steal. Yeah. Well, considering when we see it later, it's a particularly large uh, one, a too. big thing to steal. Yeah, it's um, yeah. again, Michael, uh, just kind of pure muscle, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, but then you have that line from Loomis, he's come home, yes, yes. Um, and then we're back to Laurie at home, and she gets uh, a phone call with some obscene chewing, and uh, it turns out it's actually out the window, yeah, yeah, we get the scene out the window. We got the clothesline uh, with the sheets blowing in the wind and time. Michael standing there that has been memed to death, but it's yeah. so good without, without looking away, without looking away, he's gone. Yep. So it's one of those, like Lori's clearly now like affected by him. So she's mm-hmm. seeing him places now, like been there, like having this fear of home invasions and stuff. And like, these kinds of movies like really hitting me mm-hmm. yeah i've been in that situation where it's late at night and i look out the window for one reason to close the window or something and sure enough i see something there i know it's not there but sure as hell like it's unnerving to see yeah yep and uh turns out the phone calls annie she's just trying to firm mm-hmm. up plans for the evening um and yeah uh I think uh, just a little bit from here, we've got Annie picking her up and uh, as they're driving along, they're uh, uh, smoking a little bit of, uh, of uh, um, reefer. Uh, yeah. Weed there. And uh, yeah, of course, Laurie is super straight laced and uh, is hacking her brains out. And <laughs> then they see Annie's father, who's the sheriff Lee bracket. Um, and uh yeah they 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 try to hide the joint and of course they're they're not doing a good job of it the dad knows dad knows um of course but he doesn't do anything because he's the cool sheriff i guess um you know they <laughs> they they ask him what's going on because they're in front of this hardware store where there's an alarm going off like crazy and um you know they could barely yeah, yeah, and that's it's a comment that Annie makes, you know, and he shouts too. She says, uh, 
And, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, just somebody took some rope and a couple of Halloween masks and some knives or, you know, whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, and knives. Okay. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They, uh, drive off as, um, you know, it's, you know, I kind of forgot that lovely bit after Annie walks up to her house, but Laurie's continuing on home where she's not really looking where she's going and she runs right into the, in the bracket. Yeah. And he's like, well, I guess everybody's entitled to a good scare. He says, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus. Um, but, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, he sends them on their way from the hardware store. And like we had discussed, this is where Loomis comes in just after they leave. And as he's talking to the sheriff, we've got the, uh, you know, the the state vehicle that he had stolen driving by. It's just so good. The sheriff Uh just doesn't really want to hear any of this from Loomis. He's got other things to worry about. He's got this robbery. It's Halloween. They're all going to be busy. But, uh, also I don't remember if it's here or a little bit later on how he talks about, you know, we can't just, you know, pump this out over the news and everything else just because Mm -hmm. they're going to be seeing Michael Myers everywhere. It's, you know, the payoff of that, the payoff of that. Oh yeah. One of the best scenes in a later movie. Yes. Yes. And Halloween too, when we get that, uh, yeah, yeah, poor unfortunate dude. <laughs> but Ben Tramer. Uh, yes, Ben Tramer uh, would be love interest for uh for Lori, but uh, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um Yeah, that's another thing that we kind of missed uh in Lori's bedroom as she's talking to Annie. Um Annie reveals that uh you know it's the homecoming dance the the following night mm-hmm. and uh she had kind of uh name dropped Lori with Ben because Lori had talked about how she liked him as they were walking home from school and Lori's just mortified. Um but yeah, I, things that could have been, right? Um yeah. missed opportunities. Um yeah. So let's see here. I can't remember. I think we, we, after that, it's the drive. It's more driving. Yeah. And, and basically getting to their respective houses for the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, at some point or another, pop back to, uh, Sheriff Brackett and Loomis investigating the Myers house. And mm-hmm. they find a dead dog inside. And there's the comment about how mm-hmm. Michael must have gotten hungry. That's wow. That's something. Could have been a skunk. Yeah. Could have been a skunk. Could have been a skunk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I know skunks will definitely eat dead animals, but Mm. I don't know about a skunk attacking a dog like that. I Um, know. And like mauling it, apparently. But uh, yeah, they kind of explore the upstairs and we get that great bit of uh, one of the gutters crashing through the window and startling Mm. them. Um, and yeah, Loomis talks about how he came to realize that Michael is pure evil and Mm -hmm. he has that really good monologue about his little backstory interaction with Michael. Yep. The devil's eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's uh boy, we know where, uh, Mike Flanagan got his, uh, got his chops from Mm -hmm. here. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, 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 he's ready for the worst of it. And the sheriff is just still not on board. Not quite at least, 
but mm-hmm. uh, he, he does play along for somebody who doesn't seem like he's not on the same page with Loomis. Um, you know, how I, I guess he at least understands that, yes, Michael is out there. He has escaped. There's a good chance that, you know, he's come back to Haddonfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like to his credit, Sheriff Brackett is possibly the best character in the film. Not that he has a substantial role or anything, but like, he's a really nice guy. Like yeah. he plays off Lori and Annie really, really well. Like you mm-hmm. said, he clearly knows they were smoking, but doesn't do shit about it. He gives Loomis the benefit of the doubt. Does he believe everything Loomis says? No, but he's willing to listen to Loomis, mm-hmm. follow Loomis and take Loomis's advice in terms of patrolling the area, just making sure cops are informed that kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's retconned in later films. Of course, the most yeah. oh. ones that, <laughs> you know, he was one of the original officers on the scene, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, or no, no, I'm sorry. That was, um, what's his face from, uh, Oh Jesus! What's the actor's name from The Postman and uh, plenty of other stuff? Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm mixing up my uh, my Halloween cops, but uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, Michael, of course, is following Annie and Lori to their babysitting jobs. You know, Lori's got Tommy at his house, and uh, they're watching cheesy movies and. You know, he, she's kind of fairly invested in the film that they're watching, but you know, he, he wants to deal with, you know, the Jack Lantern and popcorn and everything else. And, you know, uh, he also wants her to read to him, but not, you know, what they normally read. Now he's into some cheesy mm-hmm. comic books and yep. Laurie's not, Laurie's not impressed. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Laser man. And, you know, she can see why his parents don't like him because, of course, he's got him hit Uh under the couch. Um, Yeah. Um, At one point or another, they're actually watching the thing from another world, which uh, is a wonderful foreshadowing because uh, four years later, we get uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the original Salvo in his Apocalypse trilogy and just an outstanding standing film that was not loved in its original release, but got such a following afterwards. Um, Watching the two films back to back as in the original thing from another world and his, the thing, they're really good pair, really good pair. It's one of those to where taking out a few things from the first movie, the thing could be a sequel. That's just the vibe and the story that they carry. It could be a sequel to every nice. to everything that happened in the original. Very nice. Yeah, I've I've never done them back to back like that. I should give that a go sometime. But uh yeah, um we get uh, their interaction and over at uh Lindsay's house, Lindsay Wallace, um Annie is working on making popcorn and she gets a bunch of butter all over herself. And this is while she's on the phone with Laurie and she's kind of pacing back and forth in the kitchen. And uh, we get that wonderful bit of Michael at the patio door and then not at the Mm -hmm. patio door. Um, 
and also around this time, the family dog, uh, which is this great big German shepherd. Um, you know, they, they let him outside because he's kind of growling and, uh, uh, Annie is, uh, apparently not great with this dog. And (laughs) she has Lindsay let the dog outside and the dog runs into Michael. And like you said, the dog gets offed. Uh, maybe another little uh, nighttime snack for Michael. Who knows? But uh, I know that's just grisly. Um, <laughs> but Annie, Annie makes a little uh, comment when she hears the dog whimper outside about how maybe he found a hot date. Okay. Um, Why not? Sure. But yes, Annie has managed to get butter all over herself. I don't know how. But it's just an excuse, basically, for her to get mostly naked and have to change into a shirt and stuff and go try to do some laundry out in the garage. Um, I love how she has her car pulled into their garage, which is also weird. Um, Yeah. But uh, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Why she wouldn't just park in the driveway or on the street. I don't know. But uh, well, I, I think she parks on the street. At when they first get there because hmm. the parents would have had to leave at some point right maybe maybe i don't know it just feels weird that she would pull into their garage but i mean yeah. it all it all plays out for the best of course but uh yeah yeah in, in the uh little laundry room that's attached to the garage or whatever she gets stuck with um you know, the, the door, there's like a bad latch or something like that. And, uh, she of course tries to crawl out the window again, just an excuse to have a girl in her undies with her ass hanging out. Uh, but, uh, she calls out for Lindsay and, um, Lindsay gets a phone call from the boyfriend, Paul at some point here. And, you know, she has to go help Annie get unstuck. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and she's like, "Not a word of this, right?" And uh, of course, First Lindsay comes right in. Yeah, she was yeah. stuck in the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Michael is kind of checking things out during all of this as well. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's good. Um, but yeah, they in the behind um, the scenes. Mm. In the behind the scenes, one of the things that they pointed out that they do throughout the film is and this goes to show carpenter's film style like how well and knowledgeable he is about film up to this point already is traditionally when you're filming a scene there is the wide shot that has both sides of the screen taken up Mm -hmm. for action and so when you have a scene like with annie in the laundry room annie's over here nothing's going on over here so the audience is led to believe Something's going to come into this frame. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen to Annie. Nothing happens. And so you get that rise of tension because you see Michael in some pan shots. Here he is out there. Here he is over there. So you're thinking he's going to come in. Doesn't, though. And those thoughts remain. Annie's over here. Nothing here. Go back to your building tension. Like, that's one way yeah. Carpenter is able to build that tension by tricking his audience into expecting something to happen and nothing happens. 
Well, it's just like how we expect when somebody is backing up to the edge of the scene and you expect mm-hmm. somebody to be behind them or to jump out behind them when that happens. And a lot of filmmakers will use that along with nobody being there then uh, mm-hmm. when they get up to the edge of the screen where they'll let it linger on that type of shot for a little bit. And I, I think that even gets used once or twice throughout this movie too. But I think um, so. But yeah, yeah, I love that kind of thing. Just playing with expectations, getting you a little ramped up, and then, you know, you know, no real payoff yet. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, uh-huh. I think this is where, um, you know, with uh, Paul and Annie on the phone, they kind of hatch their plan for Annie to come pick him up, kind of spring him from uh, his uh, being grounded purgatory there so that they can have mm-hmm. some fun because uh, uh, what's her butt and Bob are going to be coming over at some point anyways. Linda. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so now Side Annie's. Story. Oh, oh. Side story that is introduced, I think, at the beginning of the movie with Lori's parents. They're going to a Halloween party. That's where Lindsay's parents are at. That's where Tommy Doyle's parents are at. And that's where Paul's parents go. That's why Paul is able to sneak out of the house. There's some Halloween party going on that all the parents are going to, but none of the kids are going to. Now, is that, it's been so long since I've seen it. Is that introduced in uh, Halloween 2? It's brought up in Halloween 2. It's why the the hospital's understaffed at the beginning of the film, because the doctor was at the Halloween party. It's also why when the doctor comes back is drunk, because he was at the Halloween party. Also makes sense. Uh, I, yep. I love how uh, the the David Gordon Green trilogy plays homage to that with things that are set up in the first part that mm-hmm. you know come back in the second. Uh, you know a lot. You know w- with certain characters that you see driving off for the evening, or we come into contact that come back then in the second because you know they're either going to that you know dive bar where Tommy Doyle mm-hmm. hangs out with Nurse Chapman and. Uh, uh, Lindsay and you know, all that stuff. Um, their anniversary recovery program. Right. Right. Uh, that that's fun. That's really fun. I like that. Um, so yes, uh, this is where Annie tries to convince Lindsay to go with her to pick up Paul. Well, she doesn't want to do that. She's transfixed by watching the thing on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she gets this bright idea. Well, what if I fix it? This you could uh, watch movies with Tommy Doyle for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. She thinks that's pretty cool. Um, so they head on over to uh, the Doyle house, and um, Lori uh, makes fun of Annie a little bit at her attire. There, you know, she's just basically walking around in a men's shirt and uh, a blanket Nothing to kind of help cover herself yeah. up. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, and she lets herself be convinced to watch both kids so that uh, Annie can get her fuck on. Um, and ultimately, uh, yeah, Annie pops back over to um, the Wallace house 
and gets in her car in the garage only to find she doesn't get in her car. Oh no. She goes to her car and finds it's locked. She forgot her keys. That's she right. goes into the house, gets her keys, comes back to the garage, instinctively opens the car door, realizing, oh, I thought it was locked. That's why I got my keys. She gets in. No worries. No problem. So Michael had already been in there and had it locked to mm-hmm. kind of give him yep. give him a little bit of a chance to get ready. Uh, but in the meantime, all of his heavy, heavy breathing there in the vehicle has, uh, really fogged up the windshield. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, she's kind of rubbing at that. And of course she gets attacked from behind and he kind of just chokes her out. Um, yeah. Love her slumping forward onto the car horn. That's fun. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. You hear it echoing away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we get, uh, Linda and Bob arriving at, uh, the, the Wallace house. Just before that, I think we get the scene of Michael carrying Annie's body out of the garage. I don't understand how nobody else notices this outside of Tommy Doyle. He's carrying a body in the front yard through the house. I I wonder, though, is this before or after? after Bob and Linda get into the house, because I feel like him bringing the body into the house would not be the best idea before they got there. I don't know, but I don't think he knew they were coming at that point though. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But where does he put the body in the house? That's a good question. Um, no idea. Yeah. Regardless, Tommy, Tommy doing the whole, it's the boogeyman. It's the boogeyman and freaking everybody out. Right. Yep. And, uh, he happens to see all this because he's trying to freak Lindsay out as she's watching this movie. Mm -hmm. So he's hiding behind the curtain of the front window there. And he happens to turn around and see Michael carrying the body. Um, and yes, it's the boogeyman. It's the boogeyman gets all freaked out and Laurie has to calm everybody down. Um, Mm -hmm. yep. So he's got to be the adult in the room, I guess. Um, the girl scout. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we, we eventually do get Bob and, uh, Linda rolling up in, uh, Bob's van with beer cans spilling out when they open the door and, uh, they, they've clearly had a few, um, they talk over their plan and, uh, we get that super creepy bit from Bob about first I rip your clothes off. Then I rip off Lindsay's clothes. And Mm -hmm. yeah, because he's pretty drunk at this point. Um, yeah, yes. They, they walk into the house and the lights are all off. There's nobody home. And then ultimately they're just kind of hanging out on the couch, waiting for something to happen. They get a call from Laurie uh, just checking in cause she hasn't you know, heard from anybody about what's going on. And Linda basically gets, uh, you know, gets the green flag. Here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, we're just going to go up to the master bedroom of the, uh, the, the Wallace's and have sex in their bed. Cause that's what happened in these movies in the seventies and the eighties. <laughs> and God, even into the nineties, look at scream. Uh, yeah, Sydney, yeah. Sydney and, uh, Billy use, uh, use Stu's parents' bedroom. Um, 
that's not gross at all. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. But teens being teens, according uh, to you know, teens being teens. Yeah, I suppose so. But holy shit, still super gross. So <laughs> yes, um, they head up there. They do their fooling around, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we 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 probably get a little bit of um, either Loomis or uh, more Laurie and the kids, but then we cut back to. Um, uh, Linda and Bob finishing up there and, uh, they've got their little back and forth the whole, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she, yeah, yeah. She makes him go get her a beer and good for her, by the way. Um, Agreed. yes. Uh, he, he goes down to the kitchen and, uh, you know, this is where we get some of those little, um, those shots that kind of, you know, kind of tease out what's to come, but don't give you the payoff until you get the payoff of Michael yeah. basically lifting him up with his neck, you know, by his neck and then stabbing him in the chest stabbing and pinning him into the wall. And pinning him. Yeah. yeah. The amount of force it would take to just drive an eight inch chef's knife through somebody like that and, you know, make that happen is uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And then you get the iconic head tilt. Yes, the whole With lizard brain. The one, the the one bit of direction that Nick Castle got for the making of this primarily was that scene really of doing the head tilt from Carpenter. Yeah, what I found out is the shape, which I love that that's what he was called behind the scenes. Yeah. Such an iconic name for a horror villain, the shape. Mm -hmm. Um his movement speed all of that his styling was inspired by westworld yul brenner's robot nice Very the way nice. that moves that's all that's all carpenter was like i want that that is terrifying that is our villain and that was the direction nick castle got for the movie was i want you to be like that walk don't run move with confidence but don't over exaggerate your movement just very minimal direction and that one scene this one scene with bob that was where he got the i want you to tilt your head very cool very yeah. cool yeah um <laughs> uh I, I oh wow also poor bob <laughs> just you know dangling there barefoot it's uh yeah so yeah, we cut right back to upstairs where Linda is aggressively filing away at her nails and the door yeah, swings. Yeah. Um, and I know they're still just trying to play off the, you know, the bubble headed blonde type of stereotype mm -hmm. where she's just fixated on, you know, uh, you know, her, her fingernails and her hair and that kind of shit. But, uh, yeah, that door swings open. And we get that lovely iconic shot of yeah, Michael another one. in a sheet as a ghost with Bob's glasses on, po basically posing as Bob. And yeah. uh, Linda, of course, just bursts out laughing and, you know, teases him a little bit. And, uh, you know, what's the matter, Bob? Uh, Can I get you? Go Can I get your ghost? As she flashes yeah. him. Um, and 
she's eventually just pissed off because he's just standing there staring and she gets up to make a call to Lori to, you know, see what the hell's going on. And of course, Lori picks up the phone right as Linda starts to be choked out by Michael. Um, yeah, yeah, that works. The phone cord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God. It, yeah, the things First have started moving. Now I'm getting, now I'm getting uh, Linda's coital sounds. Something. Yeah, it's a famous squealing or famous Wait, uh, moaning or famous something squealing. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, she gets uh, choked out, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where we get Loomis outside the Myers house where mm-hmm. he scares off Lonnie and the other kids. Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, and he's so proud of himself because these kids yeah. scare like crazy. <laughs> but uh, And then he gets a little scare of his own because Brackett comes up behind him there. Second uh, one. Second Brackett scare of the movie. Yep. Yep. It's, um, it's good. Uh, so yeah, they kind of talk about things, how, you know, they haven't really found anything. He's got deputies driving around and so on, but, um, yeah, uh, it's shortly after here, the Loomis finds the car and basically gets the confirmation that he's here and, And, you know, he, he tells uh bracket to, you know, drive around this block. I'm going to head this way. We're, we're going to find this guy. And right around here, I think Laurie is, um, you know, kind of concerned by the phone call and everything, but also just, you know, she hasn't really heard anything from anybody. She hasn't seen anybody. Um, the kids are asleep at this point. Let's, mm-hmm. let's just go check on everybody. She's got the kids tucked in bed upstairs at this point. Um, so she, uh, locks up, walks across the street and I, I, I just love the shots of her kind of walking along alone in the dark. It's, it's good. Um, she enters the Wallace house doesn't find anybody. She kind of calls out again, nobody. Um, and she heads upstairs and you've got a little bit of light spilling out from around the doorway to the master bedroom. And she opens that door to find Annie sprawled out on the bed with Judith Myers headstone propped up against the headboard. And I think there's a jack-o'-lantern on the the nightstand. I think so. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Nice callback to that in trick or treat. Um, But uh, yeah, she's absolutely spooked out by this and sort of backs up towards uh, this closet door and we get Bob swinging down his dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea the, how he's like one of the cabinets opens and Linda's like stuffed up there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, uh, Amber Tamblyn in the, in, uh, the ring remake. Um, yeah, just yeah. kind of mashed into a closet. Um, <laughs> And I, I want to say her eye, Linda's eyes are going in different directions or something. Yep. It's, uh, 
she's very much playing dead. But uh, yeah, uh, Lori kind of pops out of the bedroom, freaking out. She's crying. Uh, she's whimpering. And we get that wonderful shot of the darkened doorway mm -hmm. behind her and mm -hmm. then Michael's white mask coming into frame. You know, we haven't really talked about the mask and how it's this old Captain William Kirk Shatner. mask. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, molded from William Shatner's face and painted white. And it's kinda of, kinda of got this uh you know, kind of red brown hair. It's uh it's just it's so unsettling. Uh, and it's iconic. Yeah. Well, now it certainly is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know if Don post had any involvement with that mask, but, uh, I mean, clearly he did with I the masks so. in, uh, Halloween three. Oh. Um, but, uh, I have to look it up. Yeah, I, don't know I, I would too. The Shatner mask. Yeah. I, I'd just be really curious to know. Um, yeah. Cause you know, clearly he had involvement with the masks for Halloween three, mm -hmm. you know, the silver shamrock masks, but, uh, yeah, no, just, just curious. Um, so yes, Michael pops up behind her and she kind of goes to step away and he reaches out with the knife and slashes her arm and she kind of Love does that. this pinwheel over the, um, the, the, the balusters there and, uh, yeah. stumbles down the, you know, basically crashes down the stairs there. Ow. And yeah, this is one of the first moments where we see Michael try to move fairly quickly to, mm -hmm. to come around the stairs and try to come down them. He's, he's actually moving pretty fast for Michael Myers. Um, and we but, get, we get that, we get that theme. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carpenter knows what he's doing with that music for sure. Um, well, so that's the thing. Like, the music is a last minute addition. He yeah. showed um, the film to, to a studio and they didn't like the film. They're like, this isn't scary at all. It had no music to it. And oh. that's where Carpenter realized, like, how important music is to cinema to creating that story. Yeah. Like they're so like they're so hand in hand. I can't imagine not having the music for this movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um yeah, that yeah. totally makes sense. <clears throat> um yeah, cuz there's really not much of a soundtrack other than his score. You do mm -hmm. get Don't Fear the Reaper at some point. But Yeah, uh, yeah in the car. Yeah, but uh, honestly not a lot of music. Um, so yeah, that's perfect that he made that decision <clears throat> to ultimately yeah. write this himself. Oh God. And we're, we're all the better for it for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Laurie picks herself up and, uh, flees. Um, she's kind of screaming as she heads down the street and pounding on a couple of neighbors doors. And you, you do see some lights flip on, but mm -hmm. no one's helping her. It's that's terrifying. It's Halloween. Well. It's Halloween. Yeah. Clearly just that's fair. Plain trip, plain tricks. So yeah. 
I don't know. As aggressively as she's screaming and pounding on doors. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah I completely yeah. agree. I but just, you like, absolutely understand, yeah, why it's happening the way it is too. And she just barely manages to get back into the Doyle house. Um, I, I love how she's, she's having trouble on with that the door, with the keys. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she like drops the keys, and of course goes the keys. <laughs> um, but does manage to make it in and lock the door just in time. And uh, of course, she picks up the phone and finds it to be dead because Michael knows what he's doing here. Come on, this isn't his first rodeo. Um, he has somehow cut the line already. He's managed to sneak into the house. You know, basically, as she's backing up to this couch and cowering in fear, he's rising up behind it. Uh, and Laurie is very lucky that the house is dark because he swoops down with his knife and misses her, stabbing a couch cushion. And she grabs one of her, well, she had already been holding one of her knitting needles to use as a weapon. And she gets him really good in the neck with it. Um. And he just collapses behind the couch. Um, and she thinks, okay, we should be good. Uh, she goes upstairs to check on the kids. And, um, unfortunately Michael is not dead. Oh no. Um, because when she's getting the kids together to, you know, get them out of the house, of course they look up and see Michael coming up the stairs uh, and down the hall there. Uh, so she rushes the boogeyman. Them. It's the boogeyman. You know it. Uh, so she rushes them back into the bedroom, slams the door shut, tells them to get into the closet and not to come out until she comes to get them. Uh, and she goes to the doors at the balcony, realizes that's not going to work. And she goes behind uh, the livered bifolds of the, the other closet awesome. and kind of hides in the corner there and of course here's michael burst into the bedroom and then slowly approach and then start kind of tearing away at the closet doors now she's used like a belt or something like that to mm-hmm. kind of tie up the um there's never handles the on the inside of yeah. a bifold door but there are in this instance because it works the- for the plot yeah um but she ties them together so he can't just rip the doors open and of course louvered bifolds like that the little louvers are all super cheap wood they always are and he starts smashing through there and you know like the cord with the light is going on and off and there's coat hangers flying everywhere and shit uh. and of course she grabs one of these coat hangers and fashions it into a, a weapon and stabs him up into the eye hole of the mask with it. And he falls back. And I think we even get one of those old spaghetti Western style collapse sounds. Uh, he, when she gets him in the eye, he's holding onto the knife. He drops it. So she that's picks true. it up yes. and stabs him again. And yes. that's when he falls over. But so that's one of the big things, because after that happens, what does Lori do for the second time in the film? He exits the closet and drops the knife. Yeah. 
Yeah, and she goes out to you know the the uh, well, she she gets Tommy and uh, Lindsay out of the cl- other closet, and she tells him to run down the street to the neighbors and uh, call the police, and she sends them screaming, and of course, you know she is just kind of like collapsed in the bedroom doorway and just kind of in her feels at this point, and the kids come just tearing out of the house screaming and this is where loomis sees them this is how he knows where everything's going down and you know he draws his gun and races at the house and uh laurie again totally distracted by everything that's happened and just you know devastated does not realize that michael is sitting up behind her and he gets up and approaches and of course once again, as she's stepping away, he attacks and they're, you know, kind of tussling with each other and she manages to kind of force his mask up. And mm. this is what stops him for the moment, because I don't know that he can really be the shape, so to speak, unless mm-hmm. he is in something of full costume because it Mm -hmm. really gives him pause and it's another actor playing him at this point. It's not Nick castle. I don't know why they couldn't just. So they wanted Myers to, they wanted Michael to look like an everyday guy. They didn't want him to look like a weirdo or something like stereotypical. They wanted him to look like that guy around the corner. They wanted to look like almost angelic in nature, tall, white, blonde some you know attractive makes sense because it goes back to it goes back to carpenter's thing of being like this could happen anywhere to anyone there isn't a rhyme or reason as to why michael's doing it it's just it's what he's doing and that's what makes the movie as terrifying as it is oh absolutely it does um And of course, Michael kind of pushes her away and pauses to roll the mask back down. And this where Loomis gets the wonderful opportunity to completely unroll, unload his revolver into this guy Uh to the point where it forces Michael all the way through the bedroom and off that balcony under the ground below. And I think that's where we get the, you know, old school collapsing on the ground sound effect. Yeah. Uh, No Wilhelm screams because Michael is a silent protagonist or antagonist rather. But, uh, but yes. um, And this is where we get Laurie saying something along the lines of, you know, is he dead? And like, who the boogeyman. And she goes, was that the boogeyman? Or was that the boogeyman? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Loomis, Loomis is like, replies yeah, with, I, I, as a matter I of fact, it was. Yes. Yeah. And of course, he looks so, back outside, and just like the scene from Laurie looking down into the laundry, now Michael's gone again. Gone. Yeah. So, and, a bit of my last bit of trivia yeah. <laughs> is that um, right before they shot that for the film, uh, Donald Pleasance went up to carpenters like so how do you want me to play this he's like there's two ways i can go i can be like completely in the know i could like i expected this to happen or i can freak out and be like oh my gosh where is he what happened and carpenter's response because here's this esteemed actor like 
giving him notes. Carpenter doesn't know how to respond, so he's like, can you do both? <laughs> and it's obvious which one they ended up going with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yes, looks outside one last time, and of course, Michael is gone, and we get the Halloween theme kicking in again, mm-hmm. and all these shots from different scenes around the houses and around the town and you get the breathing from behind the mask as it's all playing out and credits it's yeah all the shots are empty so it's all the more unsettling like Mm -hmm. he could be anywhere you don't know where he is yeah yep oh it's so good so Mm -hmm. good oh Mm -hmm. my god but you're absolutely it's, it's right like, about the score with the the mm-hmm. the bit that plays the bum 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 you know that that little bit yeah. plays really well you know just like the theme it's mm. <laughs> listening listening to the soundtrack it's one thing to note like how long that track is like it goes on long without changing and so you're like when is it going to change like this is getting (laughs) long like if something has to happen but it just keeps going and hammering yeah and that's this Uh, film in a uh, nutshell right yeah it's you know just all this build up build up build up build up no payoff when you think there's going to be payoff until you know you're just slammed by this final 20 minutes or so it's uh <laughs> so perfect. And, you know, shout out to the actor who plays uh, Sheriff Brackett. Shout out to the mm-hmm. actress that plays Nurse Chambers. The fact that they came back for some of these recent Halloween films mm-hmm. was was very cool. I'm glad they were still living. Um, it's because, you know, as small as those roles were, they're, they're, they're important. Well, they're important. They're well acted. It's, um, you know, it's, it may be thought of as a little cheesy that acting, you know, but, uh, it just, it works for this film. It's, I I can't think of, uh, other than maybe alien and really the exorcist and don't look now. Maybe I, I have a hard time thinking of many more perfect 1970s horror films. It's just, uh, just absolute chef's kiss. One of the films I've come around on in in recent years, that's seventies. I want to say it's seventy five. Black Christmas. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. By the same director yeah. as A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's you can really believe good. it. <laughs> yes, like, it is. I watched it a few years back, and I'm like do I like this movie more than Halloween? I don't think so. Is it a better movie than Halloween? I don't know. Like it's really well done. It's another one to where the score isn't as memorable, but it's very befitting of the film and it Mm -hmm. adds to the film. The cast all really strong. They're all very dynamic characters and they all have their own little story arcs. Shout out to Margot Kidder for being the drunk college friend. She's so much fun in that movie. And then what's her butt who plays Juliet and Romeo and Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Very strong. Like it's it's, again, another very well 
that one's a very progressive horror movie. Oh yes. It's really good. It's really good. Not to take away from what we just talked about, but yeah. No, no, I love Black Christmas. It's a shame that the remakes have all just kind of, yeah, they're just not it. (laughs) No, they're not, not, but not uh, even close. Yeah. And you know what? I I'm totally not even bringing up some great giallos like, uh, you know, uh, deep red and, uh, Suspiria mm. and you know, the seventies really had it going on. It's, and, yeah. and, you know, not to discount some wonderful films from the eighties, nineties, aughts, 2010s, and now, but you know, just different wow, vibe. horror had a certain vibe. Yep. And was really building to just something more than just a B movie, you know, Mm -hmm. it just, it, it was really, really coming into its own. So yeah. What's really funny about like the eras of filmmaking, both since you brought up seventies, eighties and nineties, go back and watch the Indiana Jones trilogy. They are (laughs) the original trilogy is those decades. Raiders is so 70s from the lighting to the acting to the story, the plotting. Like, it's so very much in the 70s. And then Temple of Doom. Even though it was an 80s film still. (laughs) So 80s. And then you get to Last Crusade, which is just on the cusp of 90s. And it's brighter. It's brighter than um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It feels like a 90s film. It's very interesting. It was brought up to my attention recently how much that is the case and yeah going in and it all ended there (laughs) yep and everything was great you know it which is funny because uh the most recent one is just it's not bad it's actually rather good it's just haven't seen so so unnecessary and just didn't need it didn't need it (laughs) but you'll get to it eventually because like you see Harrison Ford like really loved the role and really oh, loved yeah. this movie. So yeah. And, and like I said, it's not that bad. It's actually rather yeah. good, but uh, you just, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, we're beyond the time of Indiana Jones being a relevant thing, unfortunately, which yeah. kind hey. of makes me worried about the video game, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but uh, hard yeah. to sell pulp fiction these days. I suppose. I suppose. Matt, any uh, final thoughts about uh, our our wonderful movie here, Halloween '78? I mean, you're mentioned as we were talking about it and going through. Like, there's this iconic scene, and this iconic scene, and this iconic scene. There's the scene that everyone memes with the clothesline. Like. There is so much about this film that is iconic. Like, there's no, there's no wonder why it led into this expansive genre of slashers and things along the lines of like Terminator owes in part to oh, yeah. what Carpenter did here. You have Fatal Attraction. Like, you have things mm-hmm. outside of the horror genre that wouldn't exist without Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah, you have a Black Christmas that came first, but that's not in the same. There was no stocking in the way that it was here. There yeah, was that no was a level little bit more of, pure slasher, actually. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, this has a level of obsessiveness with Michael's portrayal of following Tommy, following the girls. 
obsessing over his sister with the headstone and you know there's there's the traps that he laid there's so much about this film that is like lightning in a bottle oh, yeah. they've tried to replicate it with halloween 2 they've tried with h2o they tried with the zombie films which is a discussion for another time <laughs> like they, they've tried to go back with the formula and it's not that it doesn't work i just feel like people missed the mark with what did and didn't work yeah yeah because you don't want to straight up remake it but yeah i think people have kind of learned some of the wrong lessons out of it maybe mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah absolutely uh right on the money with calling this lightning in a bottle it is it is perfection in you know slasher slash thriller form it's it's something it and it is quintessential john carpenter i know recently people have been talking about his comments how he just wants to play video games and you know just <laughs> just kind of hang out and watch basketball and you know yeah. th- that's all he really wants to do and good for him um because that man has earned it but uh oh, of course. Th- there are lesser known films of his that i think we'll we'll look back on at some point with a little bit more fondness um you know looking at you prince of darkness but uh you know (laughs) ultimately yeah uh there there's a reason why they call him the horror master and Mm -hmm. even though that's a nickname he would like to leave behind at this point but but yeah man it's the, the dude is a master and this film absolutely mm-hmm. proves it. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you wanting to bring this one to the table. This is, I think one of those Thank that you. we talked about originally doing. And, you know, I, I think I may have pushed back with like, okay, well, yeah, it's like your favorite horror movie, but <laughs> maybe, well, maybe we'll save that a little bit and let's just do our favorite. And then of course, everything went to hell with the Zodiac episode. So, That's you know, again, a shame speaking of lighting in a bottle, cause I had such a great conversation uh-huh. with you and then uh, the, hardly any of it was like usable so uh yeah again apologies there but things are things are working so much better these days thank god um but yeah yeah i really appreciate you bringing this one on especially this time of year i'm glad so so glad that we were able to work this out for this um because uh yeah as people are watching slash listening to this it should be halloween so you know happy halloween everyone uh matt if you'd like where can people find you the right hidalgo on everything except for instagram that's private but everything else the right hidalgo all right uh and Yes, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Please like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode, but until next time, stay spooky. Before we go. Oh, oh, before we go. oh. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween, Silver, Silver Shamrock. Shamrock. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Stay spoopy.